Hi, everybody. This is Josh Becerra. Welcome to this episode of How I Work. I am here today with Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Thanks for being here, Karen. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. So Karen's the founder of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global human capital professional services firm that helps corporations execute business critical people learning and culture initiatives. She's worked with executive teams and companies such as Coca-Cola, Microsoft, British Petroleum, Meta, Ernest & Young, Raymond James, Major League Baseball, the NFL. I mean, you've been doing a lot of work in a lot of cool places. Um, you are also the author of Lead at the Top of Your Game. Um, you've created a leadership tactics, diagnostic assessment, and you're a frequent contributor on leadership strategies with Forbes. Super excited to have you today. Oh, thank you, Josh. Thank you. That's a, a mouthful of an introduction. <laughs> got to live up to that. Hey, you know, you've been doing some amazing work. We got to talk yeah. about it. So, sure. um, you know, when we were talking about uh, the How I Work uh, podcast, you know, we were prepping for this. Um, I was telling you the audience is marketers and a lot of times um, software as a service marketers and companies. And I know that you've worked in quite a few different SaaS companies, um, even before you were doing some of your own kind of out on your own, you were, you worked for SaaS companies. Yeah. Um, so, and you're now an expert in leadership and you've got a lot of different um, things to share about leadership. So I'm curious based on that experience, if you think that leading a software as a service company is any different than any other types of companies? If so, how? And if not, then what are some of the leadership challenges that maybe you faced or you saw, or maybe you've worked with um, SaaS clients to overcome? Yeah, great question. Ugh, that's a loaded question too. <laughs> I will say the mechanics of leading mm -hmm. is not, in my opinion, different based on industry or role or what have you, because the mechanics of leading leadership is all about influencing the uh, the next, you know, course of action right. or bringing others along and motivating them to take action. It's all about trying to take that next step. Mm -hmm. And that occurs no matter your industry or job role. What I will say affects your ability to lead um, is the, uh, environment that you're having to operate in like what what are the interpersonal dynamics you know what's sure. going on in the industry and markets um you know what are some um red tape you're having to jump to, in order to take action and things like that so i do think the environment you're working in impacts um your ability to be successful but the way you go about leading is consistent um across the board yeah any like particular challenges that you might have found in software as a service that leaders kind of have to face? I don't know. I'm, I just think about like my experience with software as a service is like always super high growth. Yes. Always like, I don't know, like fixated on like the data and on like the, what is our cost per acquisition and like very like KPI driven Yes. Um, and I think that sometimes like that does present challenges as a leader, right? Because you have to manage 
you have to manage expectations in a different way when everything gets boiled down to a number. And I think that like, yeah, you know, there's a, at least my kind of antidote to that is like, Hey, let's make sure that we're talking about like building a learning organization. So if we don't hit that KPI, exactly how we said in our like budget eight months ago that we like projected um, right. that we at least know what we learned uh, along the way. So anyway, any, any other like thoughts or ideas on, about Josh. those challenges? Yeah, you're spot on. The The two things that kind of rise top of mind for me are um, the industry and operating in silos. And let me just tell you really quick what I mean by this too. As you know, technology changes as a nanosecond, right? At a nanosecond. And keeping up with that and adjusting and pivoting to still meet those KPIs or goals is something that all leaders in SaaS organizations are finding challenging challenges with, um, you know, definitely. And I would um, also say sometimes in SaaS organizations, people are so focused on what they're working on, their piece of the pie, if you will, that contributes to the success of the team or the, the company. Um, sometimes I find leaders are challenged with working in silos and not communicating as frequently or keeping others updated um, as much as they should, because there are so many interdependencies in SaaS organizations and not keeping a group updated causes headaches for another. So I see those challenges going on in leadership quite frequently um, yeah. in SaaS companies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and <laughs> another thing that I see a lot of is like many times, like especially early stage SaaS companies, mm -hmm. they're like the brainchild of some amazing engineer, like this software developer who coded this thing up and it's just like crazy good. Yeah. Um, but at times that like software engineer is really good at coding, but not necessarily good at like the communication, the interpersonal, the leadership side of things, which is I think um, interesting and presents yeah, like a little bit of, can present some problems. <laughs> a lot of problems, not just some, a lot. You're yeah. spot on there. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I wanted to spend most of our time today talking about your research study. Okay, so sure. um, I, what I've understood in talking to you is that you've been able to kind of determine some key factors, tactics, and behaviors for yeah. successful leadership. Yeah. So first, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about the study and the scope of it. And then maybe, you know, I've got them listed as seven different behaviors that we talked about, intellectual yeah. horsepower, courageous agility, strategic decision-making, entrepreneurship, drive for results, executive presence, stakeholder savvy. Maybe we can get into each of those just a little bit. But first, tell us about like the study in broad scope, um, what it was and when it was conducted. Yeah, absolutely. So just to give a little bit of context, um, I've ever since I was a kid, I've always been fascinated about how some people were more successful uh, than others in general. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it really came to a head when um, my last major role before sh uh, starting my firm um, was working with Microsoft for almost 14 years. And I was tapped on to 
create and help lead their global high potential leadership program, which were the top ranked 3% of employees across the world. And with that experience, I was able to partner with a lot of um, leadership think tanks and other um, peers and companies that were also focused on this super successful niche of um, employee and, um, and just was extremely fascinated. Um, but what I wanted to do is to share our learnings beyond the walls of just one organization. And so after leaving Microsoft, um, I commissioned a research study um, on these, you know, the names change no matter what company you talk to. Some are key talents, some are high potential, some are high performers, you know, sure. you, you pick yeah. the label. But um, we did a lot of um, research um, on over 10,000 uh, employees across the globe in a variety of career functions and in a variety of industries. And the problem we were trying to better understand was what key actions or tactics or things that they did that really separated or differentiated them. Um, so it's not your theory. It's like, what did they put into action? How did their um, initiatives be most successful. And we came up with a laundry list of over a hundred, to be, be honest with you. But there were, there was a large concentration in the top seven that we wrote about. And so we thought, hey, if we can just double down on those seven and keep it simple, yeah. that would highly increase the probabilities out there of successful leadership efforts. So I just wanted to give your audience a little bit of context to see where nice. that, that came from. And so the great news out of all of this is that none of the tactics are rocket science. We all have the ability to do those uh, starting right now. Um, but I did want to put it on everyone's radar so that you know what areas you might want to double down on uh, to be more successful. And so for marketing in particular, I'll kind of give that spin. Yeah. In marketing, you're always trying to capture somebody's attention. Um, and to do that, you want to do that so that they you know, initiate a course of action that you want them to take, you know, buy something, sign up to something, um, read more about an article, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things, some of the things that your marketers can do, and we'll go through quickly the seven, um, the first is uh, lead with what we call intellectual horsepower. Mm -hmm. And intellectual horsepower is all about using your areas of expertise, things you already have, to look and source out new opportunities that others miss. Okay. One of the quickest way that you capture people's attention is if you find something meaningful for, the, uh, for them that they were unaware of before, okay? Yep. The second tactic was about leading with courageous agility. Courageous agility is all about having the, the courage to do what's right, even if you're unsure about what the future will bring to you. So for marketers, you know, standing up for the right messaging, um, treating everybody inclusively, um, being collaborative, doing the right thing for the business or whatever you're working on is um, something that's very important uh, for marketers. So that's what leading with courageous agility is all about. I love that. You know, um, at Agurian, our tagline is have confidence. Yes. And I think it's <laughs> like uh, hearing you talk about courageous agility, there's yeah. a layer in there around like how I think about confidence which is like being able to like try new things and yeah like have that agility but also you know put it in in a frame in which it's like um you know this is a test that we're, we're trying to do these things and 
our hope is that it's going to work out. We believe it's going to work out, but if it doesn't, we're going to be able to learn from that. So anyway, I just, I do like um, intellectual horsepower, courageous agility. So what's, Uh, what's the third one? Okay. So the third one is strategic decision-making, you know, very easy to understand, but how we define it is either making good decisions yourself Mm -hmm. or leading a good decision-making process with the team. So being very, that's all about being inclusive, very thoughtful about your next step and ensuring that you're making the next step um, with a calculated risk, meaning taking in data, Mm -hmm. you know, doing your best strategy, but still making a move forward. So strategic decision-making is the third. The fourth is um, leading with what we call intrapreneurship. Entrepreneurship is really um, similar to entrepreneurship, but it's all about improving products, processes, or services within whatever organization you're working with. So Mm -hmm. whether it's within an employer or a framework of an employer or within a framework of um, an entrepreneurial type of company, it's always having that mindset of being better, doing better. And I know marketers are all about that, uh, communicating that value and, yeah. and and sharing the message about the great um, advances that their companies have done. Am I correct? Yeah. I mean, what's crazy to me is how I feel like all of this stuff is so interconnected. So like in order yeah. for, in my opinion, in order for someone to be successful at entrepreneurship and be able to do that, they have to like be seen as someone that others have like a belief in or a confidence in, or like, wow, that person has that intellectual horsepower as you That's right. characterize it <laughs> to, to like do this. So I'm, I feel good about giving them that opportunity to like make those changes, suggest those changes. And then like, yeah, mm-hmm. strategic, is it strategic? Have yeah. they demonstrated that they're strategic is so like, the like the you know the the connections between these things I think is where like the real special sauce probably is right it is and you took my thunder for the end but that's right they're all interconnected and in any leadership effort that you do and you're a leader at no matter your level you know at an organization you use all seven of these mm-hmm. every day it's just um, when do you pull the lever to double down you know if you we're going to talk about executive presence in a minute but you know, when you're ready to present your position or your thoughts to those that you're trying to influence, that's when you leverage that, you know, executive presence muscle, you know. So you're right. They're all very interconnected and they're seamlessly. And sometimes you're acting and you're not even knowing. Yeah. But, you know, some of the top leaders really focus and make sure their their acumen is sharp on all of these. But let me quickly finish you out um, sure. on the last three. Um the tactic was leading with a drive for results. That's all about being tenacious to get to your end goal, even if you have to pivot or course correct along the way. The sixth is leading with executive presence, which I just told you it's about um, providing clear and convincing um, presentations or arguments or positions in order to influence others. And mm-hmm. then the last one is um, leading with stakeholder savvy. And that's all about um, your interpersonal skills, understanding who you're talking to, their perspectives, their values, so that you deepen relationships along the way. Yeah. And that's something that marketers, we're always trying to do, right? Is always. Figure out who that, that who are we talking to? The me- What's our message for this? particular persona or audience or whatever, what have you. 
And how yeah. is that different from maybe this other stakeholder? So like if you're trying to sell some enterprise software, you're going to have to convince not only like the CEO, but also the CFO and the CTO, right? Like, cause they're <laughs> going to have to change their workflows. And it's so, That's right. um, and that, that message, like the, the savvy is and the special sauce is in understanding that that got shape that message a little differently. Talk to those people a little differently, know what they're like, um, the triggers are, what is it that that is their yeah. priorities? Yeah. What, what is it that they really need to hear from you? How are you solving a problem? Um, right. you know, so yeah, definitely. <laughs> In sales, we always talk about like overcoming objections. Yes. Right. And yeah. so if you can like already have an understanding of what the majority of those objections are and how it is that your product or solution, like can uh, actually like full, like fix that you're yeah. well on your way. So. Absolutely. And I'll just say that um, what made the top and more successful leaders more uh, successful was their ability to use these all and interchange them as needed. Mm -hmm. um, where people fell down is when they weren't as a, a astute in one of them and it caused issues that kind of blocked the thing that they were trying to lead. Yeah. Uh, for example, maybe they were tone deaf in their messaging, like for marketers, mm -hmm. they were tone deaf in how they communicated or you know what they said. And because of that, it might've turned or pissed some people off. Yeah. And instead of being as effective now, you know, an advertising campaign went down the drain, right? Yeah. Um, and so- Or they get canceled. Or they get canceled, right? If they're really tone deaf, you, in this day and age, you're getting canceled. That's true. So when you're canceled like that, you're not considered, you know, leading at the top of your game. You're considered a pariah. So I like that. I was just trying to say those who are most successful were able to have a, a good level acumen in all of them mm -hmm. um, and were able to avoid the pitfalls of being really, really bad at one of them. Right. If that makes sense. But so now you've got a diagnostic or an assessment that people can take yeah. and kind of figure out where they might, where their strong suit is and where like they're, so, and you're, um, you know, there's always the people out there there that are like, hey, this either comes to you naturally or you're like, you're not, you can't do it. Yeah. Um, what do you say to those, those people? Is this stuff you can learn? Absolutely. You can yeah. learn. You can absolutely learn that this. And like I said, I mean, as we went over them, none of these are rocket science, mm -hmm. um, but there is a level of acumen in, in any of these. And that's what tactics are. Tactics are actions or behaviors, you know, things that you're doing. So you can teach anybody, you know, how to play checkers, if you will, or how to play chess. Um, it doesn't have to just be any naturally, you know, you might think about it differently or think about your strategy differently based on, you know, your own thought patterns, but the basic rules of how things are done absolutely can be taught. Yeah. And that's what the same for these tactics. Well, and to kind of extend your metaphor, I guess it's <laughs> like, does everybody have to be a uh genius chess player like do they have to does everybody have to be like the top in the world no and if you're like even like 
in the conversation, you're still way better than a ton of people, right? That's so, right. <laughs> I feel but like that's sometimes what's important. you got to be part of the conversation. And I talk in the book about um, earning the right to be heard. Mm-hmm. And, and you do that by providing what we call differentiating value, meaning mm-hmm. so much value that's so spot on that you naturally, you know, make me stop and do a double take, you know, yeah. because you're speaking to me. That's the kind of value you're going to need to provide in order to, you know, be a, an, an elite leader. But do you have to be an elite leader? No, you can be a absolutely extraordinary leader every day, you know, in your current role, as long as you're earning the right to be heard um, and, and, and are invited to share what you're trying to lead and how you're trying to build followership and bring others along. So in your, um, in your research or in your previous work, um, how did like environment impact all of this, right? Because like in the end, if you're in a company that like embraces all of this and, and looks for this and is trying to foster this and like, has it identified and says like, we want our people to behave this way. These are the leadership behaviors we're looking for and they're coaching like you're going to be successful, but there's, you know, environments where like leadership is not, um, (laughs) it's not healthy. Right. So like, how is it, what did you see in your research or in your experience? Like Mm -hmm. how is environment play in this? It plays a huge role, Josh, an absolute huge role. And that's why I always share that I can't guarantee that if you do all these great, you're going to automatically be successful because there are a lot of wild cards like environment um, or changes in industry or some unforeseen um, thing or situation that can you know, knock your blocks off, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so when, I, when we consult with organizations around this, we talk about, okay, we can help uh jumpstart the thought leadership within your organizations and 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 up level that your team's acumen mm-hmm. but if you don't have the right environment that embraces that will listen and that will take action on what your your teams are presenting then this is all wasted money and it's going for naught so what culture tweaks do we need to start uh, implementing now to create the right kind of environment for these behaviors to work, you know? And so those are deeper, more um, culture and talent um, conversations that we do have, you know, with the, with the organizations. Well, that's amazing. Are there any like um, pillars to culture that you would say, like, here's a few things of the pillars that cultures need to have in order for this to be effective? Oh, there's a lot of um, key things, but some that kind of um, jump out at me. I always say that you don't need to do this kind of training or provide this type of experience to your employees if you're not at least going to be willing to listen and take action on a certain number of them. Because yeah. a lot of ideas may not work within the company, but the quickest way to shut down and cause um, 
angst within an organization is to have people do to work to try to to think about how to best better or or an organization and then do nothing with it that you know really turns off employees yeah it's counterproductive oh my gosh so if you're not willing to do that and 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 plan and and ring fence time to at least evaluate and take actions and then you know celebrate thank them for what they've brought to the table then this is not an effort that's worth doing and to be very serious about that also it needs to be supported from the top down and the bottom up Mm. and i also recommend that in any of these types of efforts to have um, champions or ambassadors that are internal to the company that have an eye out to make sure people aren't overlooked and that the processes that you all agreed upon are followed up and are in place that's awesome yeah. yeah, I I think that culture, I think environment, like we can work on ourselves and we can do a lot of these things and get to a lot of places. But mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes you got to you got to find the right environment or culture for you to be successful, too. Absolutely. So. <laughs> well, this has been an amazing conversation. You know, one of the last questions I love to ask is just kind of who are you reading right now? Are there any authors or podcasters or like people who are maybe inspiring you today? Oh, wow. Great question. Let's see. Um, well, podcasts. Well, right now I'm not reading books. I have a curated list of um, magazines and, and forums and stories yeah. that I try to keep on top of because I trying to stay on top of the current megatrends that are going on in the world of work right now. So I'm getting my information from a, a lot of areas um, okay. and research things. But one of my favorite um, podcasts is um, with Guy Raz. It's um, how I, I think it's how I did this or how I, I think it's how I did this or something like that. But anyway, Guy Raz um, is a famous podcaster. I love the um, the stories of, um, top leaders, whether they're entrepreneurs or big individuals within their companies. Yeah. I love hearing of their stories about um, what it took for them to be successful and what were some of their things that they um, had challenges with and compare that to our research of what we've done. So I've been like doubling down on nice. <laughs> listening to uh, his guests. I love that. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, this has been so much fun. I want to thank you again for your time, Karen. And that's going to do it for this episode of How I Work. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the How I Work podcast with Josh Becerra. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. To learn more about Agurian and for more digital marketing tips and insights, head to agurian.com.